You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 137, featuring the history of Hummer with Lou Genacopoulos and Sam Faringer. Remember, this is your podcast. Together, it's all about car community, car culture. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. On today's Intercast. Sam and Lou will drive you through the history of the iconic off-road brand Hummer. The guys dig deep into Hummer's timeline, from its early days as a military-issued vehicle to the heavily anticipated all-electric variant for 2021. It's time to go off the paved road and learn more about Hummer. So, let's get revved up! Hello and welcome back, Cubers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren. As always, it is so good to have you come back with us again this week. Thank you for your support. In a few minutes, we'll be handing the keys over to the young guns on the CFC crew for this intercast installment featuring the history of the Humvee. By the way, Cubers, have you subscribed to Cars of Carlisle? If not, please do. That way, each and every week, the episode is queued up and ready for you. We would also appreciate it if you feel we earn it. Five stars on iTunes will help a long way with our street cred. And on top of that, please spread the word. Let your car clubs, car buddies, friends, family, colleagues know all about us. That will help us grow and we can bring even better content to you. And we look forward to continuing to meet and exceed your expectations each and every week. In fact, we're working on a lot of great episodes coming up here for not only the end of the 2020 year, but also and a strong start to the first quarter of 2021. Looking to be doing some on-location episodes once things start to lighten up with the, the pandemic situation, and interviews with a wide variety of folks in our industry, uh, including GT race car driver, uh, talking to folks that are doing amazing customs on the West Coast. So stay tuned. We are pulling together some great guests as we get into this brand new year. Before we get too far down the line, I want to take a moment to say thank you so very much to our OEM sponsor, our exclusive automotive dealership sponsor here for the Cars of Carlisle Network, and that is Porsche Mechanicsburg. We are definitely proud to be affiliated with the entire team of experts at Porsche Mechanicsburg, and we would like to help celebrate with them that they are now officially in their brand new state-of-the-art Porsche Center which is located at 6625 Carlisle Pike in Mechanicsburg, just a short drive from Carlisle, about uh, 15 minutes and you'll be there. And in this facility, I was just telling a friend recently that it is, when you see the, the pristine cleanliness and the, the white walls and the white flooring and just how everything is just so precise and 
just clean. Like I can't even get over how clean it is. It's like watching these high-end vehicles in surgery. It's incredible. If you're in the market for a brand new Porsche or perhaps a pre-owned or a Porsche certified vehicle, be sure to check out Porsche Mechanicsburg. They are part of the Faulkner Automotive Group and have been around bringing excellence to this area since 1932. Thank you, Darren, for the introduction. And Sam, we are back on another installment of the Sam and Lou Intracast. No idea what number this is. Probably six. It's definitely more than six. <laughs> no, I don't like, think so. It's like 14. All right. Well, whatever. For the uh, loyal viewers, if you could tell us how many of these there have been, and you can email us, there will be a prize to be named later, and you may or may not receive it. Today's trivia question what famous Hollywood actor pressured AM General to bring the Humvee to the civilian market? Anyway, we are taking a different approach, kind of sticking to what we've done recently, right, in terms of the ultimate ending of this will result in talking about a vehicle that is returning to a lineup near you in 2021 and is really reshaping the automobile industry as we know it talking about the Ford Bronco. No, I'm just kidding. We are talking about the Hummer EV re-released under GM's brand for the fall of 2021. You'll see most of its production run in 2022. We're going to take a look back at basically it becoming from war hero to Hollywood poser vehicle to electric super truck that is not owned by Elon Musk. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. And we should definitely do an episode on the Bronco, because once you said that, I got real excited. So, yeah, Louie, we're going to talk about the Hummer today. And uh, just a quick preface that Lou is going to do most of the heavy lifting today, as here in Pennsylvania, it is currently deer season, and I've spent way too much time in the woods. So with that being said, let's start off, Louie, with kind of the beginnings where who owned Hummer, where did it come from? Um you know, what was the, the foundation of the company there? Yeah, and uh, I'm a vegan. I don't believe in hunting. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, it started with, ironically enough, a company that previously we did a podcast on, Studebaker. Uh, really, their roots are back to Studebaker. The Humvee was created by AM General, which was really started, you know, if, if you go back to like 1861, it's a company that's based out of South Bend, Indiana, lands its first military contract in 1861, has a, success, a successful run with the U.S. military, uh, producing a number of things from wooded carts to different types of like machinery stuff. Um, to be honest, I didn't read too much into it. There wasn't that much information, but if you fast forward the clock 40 years to 1903, another company that eventually becomes AM General, these are all like subsidiary companies prior to as a precursor. Uh, they produce the Overland Runabout. Uh, Overland had a brief hit, stint in the auto industry as well. Then another precursor of AM General develops the four-wheel drive vehicle that wins World War II, uh, better known as the Jeep. They are one of the founders of the Jeep platform. Obviously, a lot of that was produced by Willis and Ford Motor Company, but AM General developed the four-wheel drive Jeep in 1940 for the US military. 
And then we're just going to kind of skip everything from 1940 through 1983, where they win another contract, as I am general this time, with the U.S. military to produce 55 Humvees over five years, 55,000 Humvees over five years, which was an initial deal worth of just under $1 billion. So that was um, the first five years. As of 2012, there have been 280,000 military Humvees and a number of different variations that you'll talk about later produced by AM General for the U.S. military. So if you look at that first stretch, right, a lot of U.S. military focus, and I know we're going to come right back to the Humvee, but in 1992, AM General does launch its first civilian Humvee known as the world's most serious 4x4. This was ironically enough pushed by none other than Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, who at the time was a just a movie star, I believe. I don't think he was governor yet. I didn't look that up prior to, probably should have. He definitely was not. No. He was in like <laughs> kindergarten cop and stuff at this time, like yeah, well, that like was right after of, Terminator kind of stuff. Like, I, I didn't write the movie the down. It was, it was one of his movies in the early 90s that he had like a fleet of Humvees um, on set and was like, wow, you guys should really produce these. But AM General was already considering them for civilian production back in the late 80s. Just didn't really get everything together in terms of like uh, FDA approved or not FDA approved. Um, didn't get any everything together in terms of a civilian branded vehicle to sell to the public. Um, but from 1992 to 1998, they are producing civilian Humvees on their own as a complete independent. And then in 1999, AM General agrees to sell the Humvee brand to GM still in a partnership producing them, but having GM's dealership network, licensing, marketing, et cetera, uh, to help make a successful run at it. So before we get into the civilian stuff, I think it is important to cover the Humvee itself because obviously that's really what they ultimately produced as a civilian version. You know, certainly a unique vehicle in its own right uh, has served many different tours and different wars, uh, starting with Desert Storm. So, Sam, take it away, friend. Yeah, before we get into the military applications and the genesis of the Humvee, uh, two quick notes. The movie that you were talking about with Arnold, where he first saw the Humvees, he was out in Oregon filming a movie and saw them and just thought they looked awesome. That was Kindergarten Cop. Um, <laughs> I had to check because I don't know why that stuck in my head. Secondly, um, AM General became a subsidiary of AMC in 71. So just a little more history on like the parent company of that. Cool. So the military Humvee uh, originally was – Part of a prototype program and eventually production program to supplement the Jeep like Lou talked about as an all-purpose military vehicle. Uh, we kind of know of Humvees now as a little more like armored troop carriers, but they had a lot of variants, uh, which I'll go into a couple of them later, which are pretty cool. Um, but originally they just started as troop carriers and the government put out the bid to uh, 61 interested companies that – you know, they were looking for this prototype and only three responded, one of them being AM General, uh, Teledyne and Chrysler. So of those, only those three submitted proposals were, you know, up for consideration. And in 1981, 
Humvee was, well, AM General, was awarded the contract to develop more prototypes of their initial uh, prototype for the proposal. The original M998AO series had a curb weight of 5,200 pounds, a payload of 2,500 pounds, and was offered in either a 6.2 V8 diesel or a 6.3 liter gasoline with a three-speed automatic transmission. So once these three companies were given the go-ahead to make these prototypes, uh, they were chosen and they built 11 HMMWV, which is where we get Humvee from. It's like a shortened version way to say that. So there was 11 prototypes made and they were subject to all these sorts of tests where they had to withstand in Arctic conditions, desert conditions, and travel to collective 600,000 miles to do so. Off-road courses, um, you know, stress tests, um, like longevity tests, all that. So that was in 1981 to 1982, those tests were going. And in 1983, as Lou alluded to earlier, they were awarded the initial contract. Uh, The initial contract was for 2,334 vehicles. And eventually that led to 55,000 over the first five-year contract, 39,000 which went to the Army. And then the rest were pretty much put into multiple wars uh, throughout the years. So – I don't want to go too much into it, but the the Humvee, you know, isn't the Hummer that we know. It wore a lot of different hats and wears a lot of different hats for the military still. Um, I personally and Lou used to. We live near Fort Indian Town Gap. It's nothing to see a convoy heading to the Gap, um, and you'll see six or seven different Humvees, and they're all outfitted completely differently. So there were 17 total variations that – Humvee made for the uh, military market. And those were everything from like a missile carrier to ambulances uh, to your basic, just your, your troop transport uh, in later years when urban warfare kind of developed more and the unarmored Humvee uh, was seen as inadequate, especially with the rise of IEDs and things like that. Um, more heavily armored versions were made and, um, and that kind of became the standard, but they would remove them, remove the armor if they needed it for anything else. Uh, they used them as platforms for satellites, um, you know, tractors. They used semi-trailers on them, uh, heavy assault for uh, Marines. Like just they did a whole lot with them, which is, is pretty crazy how versatile they are. One of the coolest ones is a it was called a Scorpion. It had a, an 82 millimeter automatic mortar on it. Um, so it's essentially just like a cannon that could drive around at 50 miles an hour, which is pretty sweet and it could shoot up to 4,000 meters. So without getting too much further into it, because there's a ton of history. And if you're into military history, just like you are automotive, uh, read about the military variants, because like I said, there's a lot out there. They've done a lot, um, and been extremely, extremely versatile. So with that being said, Louis, how did we get to the H1, but, you know, like the first Hummer that was offered to the civilian market? And now for something completely different, the H1. No, in all seriousness, it basically was a civilian version with slightly more amenities than what you would find in Desert Storm. 
uh, and I, I mean like literally the first variations of them, especially when they were still being produced by AM General, was a slightly different civilian version that had air conditioning and CD player, slightly more comfortable seats, um, you know, things like air conditioning and power windows. That's really all I, I think that's say. it. Yeah, yeah, there's really and a sound system. And they said a lot of like early adopters of it, they had the real tiny little steering wheels. Like, yep. Just, I mean, it was, yeah, essentially a stripped down military vehicle that they threw a better upholstery in and some air. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even joking when I say there's really not much difference. And the cool thing about the H1 was so from 1992 to 1998, AM General just sold the Humvee, the civilian version, as the Hummer when gm took over in 1999 and when i say took over they agreed with that deal but am general was still producing the h1 and also produced the h2 gm literally just added h1 there was really no other difference same engine transmission drivetrain etc and i think what's important to talk about there is throughout the 14 year production cycle, the engines relatively stayed the same. They were predominantly diesel. There was a gasoline engine, um, although most of what you'll find for sale today is diesel. And they range anywhere from like the 6.2 GM diesel, 6.5 GM diesel. And then later they went to a 6.5 in in the last year was the 6.6 Duramax, uh, which was by far the, the best combination. That's why the 2006 is the last year that you'll talk about are the most desirable and it's not even close. But if you take the military vehicle and the Hummer H1, most is the same. Brakes, axles, frame, major body panels like the hood, tailgate, quarter panels, it's all shared. They're basically produced on the same assembly line where civilian versions were just taken out and painted in a different building uh, across the parking lot. Yeah, and they still had like the hooks on... Yeah, like the the I don't know what front strut report or strut post or I don't know where they're on the frame. But so you could drop them out of a helicopter. Yeah, like the civilian version still had all those. You're literally robots. buying military grade equipment through a GM dealership if it's 1999 or later. Like it's pretty crazy. Um, and then, you know, other things like they're known to be super stable. They have. Uh, 16 inches of ground clearance for the H1. Like they're huge vehicles, but they're still pretty nimble in terms of getting through different terrain. They better uh, be stable. I mean, they're wide as hell. <laughs> yeah, they're huge. They have a, a central tire inflation system that's military grade to decrease and increase tire pressure basically on the go. They have, you know, a, a radiator, right? That's it's like cocked bass back for best airflow. And this is because they had to withstand crawling through deserts at five, six, seven, eight miles per hour. They have run flat tires, a forward hinged hood. The intake is high mounted to be able to go through a, a substantial amount of water. You got options like leather seats, a winch kit and a running board. Like it was pretty bare bones stuff for H1. Yeah. And which, they could, they could what, like 30 inches of water, almost three feet of water. They could go yeah, through crazy. Just like it's nothing. I remember there was a game for PlayStation 2. It was like Test Drive Off-Road, I believe it was called. And you would just be able to drive up like Hawaiian volcanoes, which obviously isn't true. But for a kid in the 90s, like that was everything. (laughs) That's all you wanted to do is take your H1 out and drive up the side of a volcano. 
Yeah, but I mean, in the the real world application of that in the H1, I mean, their their approach and departure angles were extremely high. You know, due to that extremely high setting frame, wide tires, like they could do, they could go up a hill. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go up the side of a mountain, but you know. Now the only thing that you were measuring really the when you you looked at fuel consumption was the age old phrase smiles per gallon because. You could basically watch it go from full to empty, and and I'm talking about both tanks, the initial tank and the reserve tank that you could just flip with the switch of a button. They both drain very quick. Uh, We're talking like at best 10 miles per gallon, but you really only saw those off the nicest of driving. It was really an an average of Uh, 6.6, which would happen when you have a 10,000-pound vehicle getting you know, driven like a daily. So that wasn't a, a huge selling point. Total production only included 11,818, including 729 for the last year, which we're going to highlight a little bit because they are by far the most uh, collectible, uh, which really isn't a lot, especially if you look at the H2 production that we'll talk about uh, later. But certainly a cult following, really, if you look at like, the 90s overall, there aren't major vehicles produced that are awesome. And this is certainly one of them. If you look back to any movie during that time, anyone in Hollywood had one. Uh, they have a strong collectible following today and a really unique vehicle. So want to talk about the Alpha and then we'll move on to the less cooler versions of other things. <laughs> yeah, so in 2006... Hummer offered the H1 Alpha, which essentially, you know, was the baddest of the baddest of the H1s. It was a rear-engineered, or uh, sorry, re-engineered with the Duramax diesel that Lou talked about and five-speed Allison, and had the same engine from uh, GM GMT 560 trucks. But due to the constraints of essentially the height and the depth of the engine compartment. They had to change 23 components to get it to fit in there and then lift the body another two inches to fit the engine and the turbo housing underneath the upper body panels and hood. Uh, This came with 300 horsepower and 520 foot-pounds of torque, Um, which with these these H1s being so stinking big – you know, obviously their gas mileage is crappy because they don't have a lot of horsepower, but they also were kind of lacking, especially in like the lower engine models in their towing capacity or even just, you know, low end torque. And and this was a huge thing for them, the H1 Alpha, because it really like just it went straight headlong into the off roading roots of it. Um, they made some more cooling modifications to it and allowed for negative 30 degree starts. Not really sure when you'd ever need that, but I think if you have a Hummer, you might be one of the people that do. And even though it was it was produced from 2005 to mid or mid 2006, there was actually no production on the Hummer. Am I right on that, Lou? None. There was none produced in 2005, so they were all built in correct. 06. Yep, correct. Okay. And then, uh, like you said earlier, there's 729 of these H1 Alphas built. And again, they are the most desirable, the most expensive. A typical H1, like if you're to go on to, I don't know, any, you know, used car website online, you're going to look between like 40, 90,000. Uh, the H1s Alphas are typically over 100 grand. 
And I think the most expensive Hummer around currently, I think that's a $285,000 Hummer. Um, that's, you know, specked out to be awesome, but based off the 2006 design. Moving on the H2 disclaimer. We're not going to talk about the H2 and the H3 that much. The H2 a little bit more than the H3. But I will say one interesting fact that I did not know going into this. I thought it was all sequential production, meaning like H1 had its production run. That was axed. Then H2 axed. Then H3. There was one year where the H1, H2, and H3 were all being produced at the same time, 2006. However, they're all produced in vastly different ways. The H2, while I think of it as a poser vehicle, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you're not bringing your H2 off-roading anywhere. Do you have no. any qualms with that? It's basically no. a Hollywood like entourage. Any Hollywood movie from 2002 to 2007 has a Hummer H2 in it somewhere. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, it's better than the H3. Correct, which is actually a nice riding vehicle. I've been in one. I've never been in an H2, nor have I been in an H1. Um, the H2 specifically still had off-roading capabilities. While it was much more GM, it was produced by AM General on a modified. They basically took like the subframe, if you cut it into a subframe of a full-size 2500 um, series truck, and then the you know the the next three-quarter right from like the firewall back is a 1500 that's grafted together uh, a series truck. And uh, it's a beefy chassis. Like it's nothing to joke about. It's also a, a very beefy vehicle with a mostly stock LS series motor. So it doesn't really move. If you look at the 2002 6.0 LQ4 that was in it, it's only 316 horsepower, uh, zero to 60 in 10.9 seconds. And as you get <laughs> going through the production, they, they step it up with the, an LQ4 that had a different crank, better heads. That was 325 horsepower. And then up to 393 from the 6.2 uh, L92 in 2008 and 2009, which is really nothing to laugh at. If you're looking for an LS, go find a Rect H2. That's a, a good one. Yeah, to go. any of those engines would be great as a, a swap. So AM General starts producing these in 2001 for uh, GM to have a, an official like production run starting in 02. They sold a lot of them. I mean, 2002 was 18,861. 03 gets up to 34,000, which is the high in the seven year production run, which I guess doesn't say that much, but from 02 to 09, it's 153,026 sold. So a hair over 152 or 153 grand. They had standard features like air conditioning, tri-zone climate, tilt leather wrapped steering wheels with custom radio controls, cruise leather, heated front and rear seats, power seats that can go pretty much every way possible, dual memory system for the seats, Bose sound, you know, different type of CD options, which is kind of funny. Uh, MP3 capability in 2008, that's kind of a big deal for the time. Had independent torsion, uh, torsion bar suspension, five-link coil springs, and pretty much that was it. Uh, now, the, the rear spring setup was specifically for the H2. A lot of this uh, other stuff is GM parts interchangeability, but 
it had a lot going on, admittedly, for being the most expensive SUV, I think, on the market uh, outside of the the most loaded Escalade. I, I think this is second. So even more than like Lincoln Navigators and stuff. Yeah, I think like so. end at that point. Uh, I mean, I'll look it up, but 2002 Hummer H2 MSRP. 57.5 for uh, an 08 MSRP Hummer H2 and for a Lincoln Navigator of the same vintage. I guess a better Great question would have been, <laughs> did they even make a Lincoln Navigator in 2002? I actually have no idea. I, I have 08 here. Right before the big gas crunch, the 08 Navigator started at 48.5, so almost 10 grand over sticker. Pretty substantial. Yeah. Anything else you want to add on the H2? Not really. No. Um, you know, other than the fact that they use the LS family of engines, like kind of poorly, uh, mainly because they weren't designed to carry around six to eight thousand pound vehicles sure um there's not much about the h2s that i really care for with that i will say the h2 didn't totally die by the housing bubble it was uh also coupled with an emissions crunch which it just it was too heavy to meet power would have been non-existent it would have been like driving uh, a v6 camaro from 1968 i don't know not fun is what I'm getting at. Although you might look like you're having fun. Sorry, Camaro guys. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> Do we so, want to yeah. talk about the H3 or no? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in contrast, one last thing on the H2. Uh, you know, earlier we said I think you could get an H1, like average H1 price if you were to go buy one right now. Uh, somewhere in like the 60000 range, you can have them as low as like I don't know, 39.95 up to 90 grand. H2s, uh, again, you can see they're less desirable. You're looking in like the 10 to 30 thousand dollar range. More of them, and not nearly as cool. And then we can get into the the worst of the bunch, the H3, which I think you can pick those up for like five grand. So, I think the average is like 15, but it, I mean they're just not good. Yeah, I mean, I have in our notes here, H3 equals barf sandwich, because that's basically what it is. However, I will say it's probably important to note that it was basically on a modified Chevy Colorado or GMC Canyon chassis. It was built by GM, not AM General. So this was the first time that they used just the AM General name Hummer and had no production input, had no design input it was totally done by gm and i guess it's also important to note that the h2 uh, visually was designed by gm so if you buy a hummer h3 it either came out of shreveport louisiana or port elizabeth in south africa and yeah sure whatever (laughs) sorry (laughs) And, and while it's um most enthusiasts that either own an H3 or know about them. Um, basically say it's a, a modified Colorado or GMC Canyon. GMC claims that they only share 10% of the same components. 
uh, including the fact that the H3 has a modified and reinforced chassis for heavy off-road duties. But again, who's bringing their H3 off-road in any capacity? <laughs> it's like an 8,000-pound GMC Jimmy. Like, Yeah, it's crazy. However... They, they came with six, uh, six cylinders. Yeah, they did. Like, just garbage. Yep. But I wouldn't say they weren't successful. From only being produced... You know, 2006 through 2009, they made 156,000 of them. That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. And, you know, we're kind of talking down on them because they're less of the, you know, huge Hummer that, you know, we picture in action movies and stuff like that. But, Lou, you'd mentioned the, the gas crisis and, you know, GM was trying to they were trying to change the image of the Hummer. The Hummer lived in this extremely weird bubble in public persona. And a lot of this was fueled by people like Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And they, it was like a symbol of machismo and like manliness and excess and not caring that you only get six miles to the gallon. And, you know, it had this very much, I I mean, even, even the ad campaigns were, I watched a couple ads while I was doing research for this, and it was like this dude buying tofu, and somebody like made fun of him, so he went and bought a Hummer because he wanted to be a man. And their tagline was "Restore the balance." Yeah, just so crazy. Hummer really played into this like machismo, like this very manly masculinity, and like they kind of rejected the the thought of the heterosexual male that was coming out during that time, and the the gas crisis and you know kind of America's changing views on masculinity uh, saw this. There was that short window where this could have existed and then it kind of changed. And you can see with, from the H1 to the H3 where they tried to, you know, I don't want to say reduce their carbon footprint, but they did, you know, with the, going to the six cylinder and really trying to make it more of a, I don't know, like a sports utility vehicle than, what the H1 was, was, but you know that was just essentially a military vehicle. Um, but it, it that masculinity thing ultimately just kind of ended. So with that too, the Hummer ended, and that was what 2009 last year for it. Technically, yes. Uh, they now you could still buy a brand new Hummer H3 in 2010. That was sold as a 2009. Uh, they did not sell well in 09 with a whopping total of 5,487 sold. So if you look at that 156 to 159,000, depending on you know what was ultimately produced, uh, only 5,400 in the last year of production. Anyway, that's all hot garbage. Uh, <laughs> Anything yeah, else you so want let's, to add? <laughs> no, no. I want to move on to the, like the real reason we're probably talking about this is I'm sure during anybody who's a football fan probably saw the spot with LeBron James during the most recent Super Bowl, uh, which was the Hummer's answer to uh, Tesla's Cybertruck, and it was the commercial reveal of the Hummer EV. So we're going to get into that a little bit uh, before we wrap up on our parting thoughts. So, Louie, take it away with 
what do you know about the EV? I mean, I'm not going to hold back. I, I honestly, I think it is far and away a, a better looking vehicle than, you know, if you look at like the Wrangler 392 that came out, if you look at the Bronco, if you look at the Cybertruck, obviously. Um, oh, dude. But yeah, any of the far. EVs out there, like this is a good looking vehicle, especially how they have the quarter panels for them. Like it looks like a BV truck. And admittedly, it's an expensive truck. Your sticker, oh, yeah. a fully loaded one's going for like, first of all, if you can even get on the waiting list. Second of all, you got to wait until fall of 2021. Third of all, it's like a $122,000 sticker if you have all the cool stuff like the the infinity roof, the crab walking, well, all no, that crab, different stuff. Crab walk you don't get yet. Well, I'm that saying. It doesn't come in until uh, spring of 2003. So uh, real well, quick, there's. Uh, yeah, so there's three four, phases, right? Four phases of the I don't know, they have a weird naming convention, but four phases of the Hummer EV. So it's going to be the Hummer EV Edition 1, the EV2, the EV2X, and then the EV3X. Like an um, iPhone. Yeah. Now, what's crazy is that you'd think you know, they add some stuff to to each of these packages, right? Like these are later model years and, and like future generations. But what's weird is the Hummer EV edition one, the one that we currently, or we could have gotten, which quick aside, they set a record. The EV one sold out on their online registrations or uh, I'm sorry, reservations in 10 minutes. That's how quickly this thing sold. I don't know the numbers on how many they had for reservation, but completely sold out within 10 minutes of a car like that's insane but I, Luke, tell me about the the specs on this ev1 before we get into any of the other ones because yep. i was about to say you know you'd think that they would get better as time goes on but they don't this ev edition one is i mean this thing is going to be insane so this is before the the watts of freedom conversation fair yeah yeah okay so here's what we do now first of all the original H1 had 16 inches of ground clearance. I think it's funny. Or 15.9 inches. No, 16 inches of ground clearance. The EV has 15.9 inches. So it looks lower, but it's really not. It's got the same ground clearance. It has a three motor E four wheel drive system that is torque vectoring and has, you know, a modest thousand horsepower and 11,500 foot pounds of torque capability. Hold on, hold on. 11,500 11, foot pounds of torque. Yeah. And a thousand horsepower. Yeah. 11,500 foot pounds of horse torques um, <laughs> delivered through three batteries. It also has like a, incredibly fast uh, charging system that can add a hundred miles of range in 10 minutes. And I believe total range, I just had the number is About, estimated right around 350 yeah, miles. 350. Right? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think that has anything to do with it being a 350 KW DC? Not at all. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Keep that I think, in. I mean, you got to think like a normal, like I have a 2011 Silverado. It's got a five, three, um, ls family engine in it that i think i get like 400 or so miles of the gallon like that's just i think that's just average and now this is getting 350 and it also has about 
oh, I don't even know, 2,000% more torque. Yep, <laughs> that's probably a rough estimate. The best version of the H2 would run 0 to 60 in just under 10 seconds, about 9.1. This runs 0 to 60 in just under 3 seconds. It's just crazy. Find me another like, truck supercar. that runs under three, zero to 60 in three seconds. Maybe like the Cyclones? Uh, uh, there's no such thing as a Cyclone. What were there? TRX? No, no, no. Those oh, old, um, from old. No, they were, they were sub five. I mean, a Grand National was four or five. So they had the same. They had a 4.1 turbo V6. So they were like, I believe they're all wheel drive systems. Cause I don't think they were four wheel drive. I could be wrong there. They or, were, if they were sub four, that was moving, but that's also, yeah. you know, 1990. And I, and well, much smaller trucks too. And I also don't know what the Ford Raptor runs, but I'm assuming those are pretty quick. Yeah, definitely. But they're not sub three second. Nothing no, else. no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying these are the fastest of the fast trucks that we can talk about. And they're nothing. They don't even hold a candle to this. Well, we're not even done yet. I mean, let's talk about the the four-wheel steer. Uh, I I know we can't talk about the crab walking yet, but it it has four-wheel steering capability, which GM had 20 years ago, uh, bringing it back. They had an opportunity to create extract mode, which will raise your Hummer EV by another six six inches, and then also... Your stock tire uh, ride height is 35 inches. Well, it has the capability to increase that to two in- by another two inches to 37. I have no idea how. It has underbody armor. It has an ultra vision system that includes underbody cameras to help navigate tricky terrain. Terrain. The list goes on. It's crazy. I mean, honestly, like you read one article and you just pick up on little things that are just like, holy. Dude, they're so yeah. cool. So. The first round of the reservations before we move on to the next ones for these these H, um, I'm sorry the the EV ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. The, the the naming conventions are so weird. Hummer EV Edition ones. Uh, they're only going to be offered in the two tone white with the black roof and bronze wheels. Uh, no other options. Not like anybody cared. Um, so Lou, what is Watts to Freedom? Well, I mean, first of all, you didn't talk about the horrible gas mileage it gets. Uh, no, that one fell on on deaf ears. Thousand horsepower, horse torques. Yeah, I don't care. Okay. I don't care if something's a thousand horsepower. I don't really care how many miles to the gallon. I mean, and it's not even miles to the gallon. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was a terrible joke. Feel free to cut that out. So anyway, Watts to Freedom, which they just did a quick uh, promo. It was like a 30-second clip that you could see uh, if you just Google Watts to Freedom. Uh, Essentially, it's it's what you're going to get when like Tesla launched whatever it was called, like Insane Mode, or there was another name for it too. Uh, It starts with an L. Lunatics. Ludicrous. There you go. Uh, it puts your EV in a, a launch control type setting to rival, you know, anything on the road and achieve that zero to 60 in just under three seconds. I mean, it, it's literally, it's three seconds on the dot. I don't know why we're saying just under it's three. Yeah. And you got to think, I mean, instant power to the ground with the electric motors. It's just, and it's four wheel, you know, and it's instant power. as soon as It's you know. crazy. 
it, it's just, I mean, we like, again, like the infinity roof, you don't really, if you're buying this truck, which I don't think anybody is to haul any type of like cargo, it doesn't have a big box. I think it's only four and a quarter feet, something like that, but it's got pretty much everything. It's, it's got a hands-free driving system that's already been tested on 200,000 miles of roads and it's got, you know, automatic lane changing. It's, I mean, what doesn't it have? It's crazy. Yeah. I Yeah. They're insane. I mean, it's like, a, I'm a GM fanboy, so I'm a little biased here, Same but man. you know, like when Ford came out with the, the Mustang oh, the grill is awesome. It lights up like, Dude, sweet. It's but great. when when Ford came out with the Mustang EV, the like SUV um, electric Mustang or whatever that I don't even know what that thing was. But when they came out with that, like it's kind of like, oh, you're taking like a good brand and making it bad. You know, when I first heard of the electric Hummer, I was like, God, you're just going to ruin this thing. But boy, did they knock it out of the park. I mean, it looks so good. Especially compared to things like the Mustang EV, the Ford Bronco, while not a bad looking car in my opinion the new one not great i mean it it's okay uh but this like they kept true to the hummer stylings like the big boxy uh like in your face but kind of made a little subtler you see like the curvature like going down at the front of the hood down into like the headlights like it kind of curves up at the sides It, it took away a little bit of that boxiness but not in a way that the h2 and the h3 did which kind of made it look like um I don't know, like a bloated SSR or uh, I don't know, whatever those PT cruise. Yeah, PT cruisers. It looks like a fat PT cruiser. <laughs> this thing looks sweet, though. The new ones are awesome. They tow hooks. I mean, obviously, you can get a winch, anything you need. You could pull an RV with a boat behind it while you're pulling a horse trailer, all with, you know, for 350 miles. It's just insane. So. If we just look at, like I said, the EV1 starts at about 112. It's got the the tri-motor, the uh, 350-mile range, the 1,000 horsepower. Watts to Freedom, which I forgot to mention, lowers your vehicle two inches before you launch to achieve freedom. It's also the EV2, which ironically enough doesn't come out until 2024 because the EV3X comes after edition one. Uh, The... EV3X, which is going to be available fall 2022, starts at just under 100 grand, 99,995. That's still the same tri motor setup, but it only has a 300 plus mile range as well as a whopping 800 horsepower and 9,500 foot pounds of torque. The still insane. Yeah. But but again, so listen to these naming conventions. The fall 2021, you can get the Hummer EV Edition One. Yep. You'd expect the next one to be the EV2. Nope. Yep. No. Fall 2022, you get the EV3X. Then yep. in spring 2023, you can get the EV2X. And then you can get the EV2 in spring 2024. What I, do you like, think is better, the EV2X or the EV3X? Well, okay. So let me at least say what I know the, the answer. Let me say what the EV2X is. So there's only one reason why I'd pick the 2X. The the 3X has it in – oh, wait, no, no. I would definitely pick yep, the 3X. Yep, you're, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely sure. pick the 3X. The 2X, um, you I'll, only get two motors. Yeah, and I was going to say the 2X didn't include uh, the crab walk, but it actually does. So the EV3X, uh, you went over the specs for that. So in comparison, the EV2X is uh, $89,995 MSRP, available again in spring of 23. Went from the three-motor three setup to a two-motor setup with an estimated 300-plus mile range, similar to the EV3X. And a big drop from especially the EV1 to 625 horsepower and 7,400 foot-pounds of torque. Now, to answer your question, definitely the 3X. Uh, because the EV2X has the crab walk, which was part of that commercial that we referenced earlier. Um, which, you know, Lou, do you want to explain what the crab walk is? You explain it. <laughs> sure. So the crab walk is uh, essentially it's like a, a four wheel symmetrical uh, steering system. So if you have an obstruction in front of you, uh, you don't have enough room to pull forward. And as you're turning the wheel to make the arc of your turn, essentially all four wheels will turn at once and move you not laterally, uh, more diagonally around that uh, where this will come into handy in the off-road world is getting around obstructions, rocks, boulders, stuff like that, where people are actually going to probably use it is parallel parking. So um, it's a really cool feature, though, and that was like a big thing that they brought up in in that Super Bowl ad. The um, and, and I'm sorry, the reason I had you explain it, I was just looking at things on the website to see what we missed, uh, which I guess the major thing is, this will be sold as a GMC, uh, not Hummer as a standalone brand for the first time, which is pretty cool. doesn't really matter one way or another, but it does have a small GMC badge on the front grille. Yeah, we did forget to – I mean it's a model. It is not yeah, a exactly. brand. It's a model. It is pretty unique too. It has – I mentioned the underbody cameras, but they give you everything from like a pitch angle to how much degrees of roll you have in it. Like It is super – dedicated to the off-roader i don't know if anyone's going to take this off-roading i don't know if a serious off-roader has 113 grand to spend are they going to spend it on this or are they going to buy a jeep with the best of the best right like i, I don't know i, like I don't a trophy know trophy truck market or segment like exists that. yeah exactly yeah. i have no idea but for someone who's just fanning about it and you know looking at the 35 inch tires that are, are custom built from Goodyear, like it's amazing. Now, I one of the things I do wonder about, and we have anything from here on out on this is all speculation because we have no idea. I really do wonder what the ongoing maintenance costs of it are. Um, one thing I did look at, I'm not going to get too into it, but what I wanted to look at the H1, the H2, and the H3, what their what the prices were for like regular maintenance. So obviously you have like the sunken cost. Uh, the sunken cost of gas, but I was like, are they expensive doing? They're really not. Um, you know, especially when you get into like the H3 where it's like straight GM, I, you can go buy every part at Napa. You're good. Most of the H1 stuff you can still get, but I'm really wondering with these, you know, obviously there's not a huge aftermarket for the EVs. Well, there's almost no aftermarket uh, at all yet for EV trucks. I'm just wondering how much those tires that you just mentioned that, somehow magically grow two inches 
um, all the cameras, all the crab walk systems, um, the motor, like the electric motors themselves, like how much is that going to cost to maintain over the long term? Yeah, it's $120,000 to invest. But if you are serious about off-roading this thing, what's that going to cost you if something breaks? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. And, you know, they show an underbody photo of all of the armor available for specifically the, the chassis, right? I don't know how tires grow two inches. I might have just misread that, to be honest, because it says there's 37-inch tires available. But I I don't know. <laughs> I, I would think, right, like a Tesla, there isn't that much maintenance cost, at least to my knowledge. Well, I don't know, because Tesla has a weird model um, when it comes to their maintenance. And that is that, like, it's really, really, really hard to work on your own Tesla. Uh, it's really just, hard to get. Just a quick Google. 37-inch tires are available. <laughs> but like <laughs> Tesla, tires will be uh, beadlock wheel and tires will be offered in the second model year. That's pretty cool. Which is the 3X if you're keeping track of this terrible way to name stuff. Um, but I, so we don't have a good market study because like the Teslas, you're not allowed to buy parts. You have to do everything through a dealer. Um, I watched a YouTube video like four years ago. Some dude who bought a couple wrecked Teslas and like went th- – he was trying to get basically like one of the new Teslas as cheap as possible, rebuilding them all. Couldn't get it because there's just no support from the company. Seeing what GM does, I'm assuming um, – you know, and the direction we're going, you're seeing a bunch more EVs come out. I'm assuming there's going to be a burgeoning market for this where – there's just a ton of stuff you can do, but like even like the little stuff, I just wonder, you know, ball joints, are they using like, can you go to rock auto and get some moogs and throw them on your, your truck? Or like, where are you even getting these parts from? I just, that's what I wonder about these first couple of years with these, boy, they're going to be salty to keep. Yeah. I think with anything that's brand new, right? Like there isn't going to be an aftermarket initially because it's not going to be wide produced i don't know how many were reserved yeah actually i have no idea i couldn't readily find that um if you do that would be great but yeah the long term of that is it's just obviously like 10 to 15 years from now like ever pretty much every major manufacturer is going to have an ev vehicle i know uh i think either china or korea has a couple vehicles coming out um i would assume we're going to see a lot more out of foreign automakers. Um, you know, the i8 for BMW was huge. Um, we're going to see it. it. I mean, it's it's a changing of the times, which is kind of unfortunate. Obviously, with this, it's going to be a quiet motor, uh, sure. which, you know, we're gearheads. We love to hear loud engines. We like it. Uh, so that would be something that would be different. Just play but, it over your Bose sound system. <laughs> well, Or, you know, hey, I mean, even modern cars, a lot of them tune in not tune in, but they program in actual sounds uh, to make their engines sound better. Like the Ford GT 500s have like a sound chip in them to make them sound better. So, I mean, I guess you could do that, but that'll be lost on us. But I mean, overall 15 years from now, maybe we will have an aftermarket, but first five years, what are you going to do? Like you blow a tire, like you have to get a specially made, what is it? Bridgestone that makes them? Well, no, uh, good year. Good year. I'm sorry. Well, let's close this out. Final thoughts, Lou. If you had 
a hundred and I don't know after taxes, hundred and thirty thousand dollars. How seriously would you consider this over, say, like a Corvette, uh, like a you know a C8 or something like that? Oh, I think I'd definitely buy it over a C8. You're gonna beat a Z8, a C8, in pretty much anything. I know. That's the crazy thing is like you're not sacrificing fast for truck. <laughs> I, I can't justify spending 130 grand after taxes on a cyber truck. I don't know. What's the new Tesla truck retail at? I don't know. I it's called Cybertruck, right? Yeah, I have no idea. I I just can't see it. I can't do it. Uh, I think it's gonna be awesome. I think you know, five ten years down the road, yeah, I'll consider one, but not the first model year. But it is by like I'd consider it over a Bronco, over the new Hemi Wrangler, the TRX. Well, maybe not the TRX because that's somewhat reasonably priced. The latest Raptor, it, it ranks up there for sure. So quick note, um. You can buy a single motor rear wheel drive Cybertruck for $39,000. So there you go. I mean, now alternatively, uh, zero to 60 and 6.5, only 250 miles. I mean, it's no, it's no Hummer. No, no, but you can get the tri-motor all wheel drive for $70,000 that, uh, does zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds and has a 500 mile range only problem with Cybertrucks, they are hideous. They look like a foot. Yeah, they're just terrible. Locked so I would much rather have this Hummer over the Cybertruck. I mean, <laughs> I don't care if it performs better in every way. Like, this Hummer just looks so much better. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. And maybe on next installment, we will uh, stack rank them and get some real-life feedback on who would do what. The answer to today's trivia question Austrian prince, former California governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right. So on that note, uh, we thank you guys for joining us again to discuss the Hummer and its evolution from a military vehicle to a symbol of masculinity to now an electric revolution. We will catch you next time on the Sam and Lou Intracast. Thanks for joining us. Lots of freedom. We are back to Studio A. A big thank you to Mr. Genicopoulos and Mr. Faringer for their research and their work on this week's deep dive into the Hummer and to the Humvee brand and everything that uh, now where it's heading, especially with the electrical, all-electric super truck. That's going to be incredible. I've been doing some reading on that and uh, really excited about that. So Sam, Lou, as always, great job. Appreciate the hard work you guys put into things. As we are proverbially climbing a mountain in, a, let's say, a Hummer H2, we are now at the summit and at the end of this episode. And for that, I just want to say, be sure to come back next week. Tune in to what we're doing here at the end of December. We are excited about ending this year as strong as possible. And we are all hopeful for a much healthier, uh, much more freedom-enjoying 2021 and uh, perhaps put the uh, global situation behind us if we can. Because together it's all about car community, car culture. And for now, I'll sign off with drive well, be well, take care. <laughs>